everybody. Welcome to another um, episode of the First and Fifteen podcast. I'm Joel Pulliam. And um, if, again, if you haven't uh, listened to this podcast before, the first stands for the First Amendment, um, the right to free speech, you know, hence the podcast. And then 15th is for the uh, 15th Amendment, which is the uh, right to vote. Uh, so this is a podcast meant to engage people, to um, inform people on what's going on. And, you know, hopefully we can learn something here and have some fun. So uh, this episode it's going to be about the uh, Supreme Court. And I think this is a very, very, very underappreciated issue when it comes to politics and government. Uh, if you've been paying attention to the news the past couple of weeks, we've seen some, um, honestly, the past year, we've seen some uh, major decisions come down. Uh, obviously, it's been a year. Hard to believe it's been a year since the, the decision to end Roe v. Wade. Uh, and that's had... I mean, both literal consequences as um, women haven't been able to get abortions. Uh, in some states, if there's incest, that girl can't get an abortion. So it's had real life tragic consequences. And then plus, um, there's the political fallout, right? Uh, you saw in the midterms. Uh, so it's it's that decision really shifted uh, the viewpoint of a lot of people, even though the process of what it's been happening with the court has been going on for a lot longer than what people um, know. And we'll talk about that later on. Um, some of the recent cases, affirmative action, I talked about this in, in a previous episode, um, that's looking likely to end. I mean, if you're looking at the makeup of this court, six to three conservative judges, uh, especially with Clarence Thomas, who um, is disappointing, uh, very disappointing. I'll leave it there. Um yeah, it's looking like affirmative action is ending. Um, you have uh, the decision. There actually was a decision um, yesterday, I believe. And this is, I want to talk about this. It's called Jones versus Hendricks. And um, it probably wasn't reported much like on TV or anything like that. But basically what this case entailed was that there was a man named Marcus Jones Marcus D'Angelo Jones, and um, he was convicted in 2000 of having a firearm on him while being a convicted felon. But the problem was, was that he didn't know that he was a felon, right? I guess he hadn't been uh, informed that he still was a convicted felon when he was caught with this gun. And, and like, one of the fundamental, like, principles of, like, law is that you can't be convicted of a crime, basically, if there hasn't been a law passed that makes what you did illegal, right? If I say that trespassing here is illegal, I had to have had made a law that that was illegal. I can't do it after the fact, after you've actually trespassed and then say, okay, now it's illegal and you get thrown in prison for it. That's not how law is supposed to work. So in this case, technically... If, if you're not informed that you're a felon, are you really committing, are you really breaking the law because you weren't knowingly doing something, right? So if you're not informed, I would think you're not really breaking the law uh, because you didn't know you were a felon. But in this case, um, the Supreme Court along like it's six to three conservative uh, line, they voted or they agreed to a decision 
uh, that said he had to stay in prison and that even if you're innocent of a crime technically, you don't have the right to go and appeal your case in cases like these, right? And so that means if you don't know that you're a felon, and let's say in Florida, right, you go vote and you didn't realize that you were still a convicted felon, um, you could be arrested and thrown in prison. You know, they've already did that last year during the midterms. Um, so it's not good for the president of, of, of justice. Um, not good at all. And I think it, it went under the radar with a lot of people. Um, obviously, it's not, you know, there's certain things that are like sexy to the media, even when it comes to Supreme Court, and then other things that are just as important um, that go underreported. And this is definitely one of them. And again, he, yes, he was a felon, but he genuinely believed that he, that his record had been expunged, and it hadn't. And this happens more than what people um, believe. This, this happens, it's, it's common that this could happen, right? Um, and, and thus, a lot of people thought that that conviction was invalid. But according to the Supreme Court, it's not. And, um... Even though he's innocent, he's had to spend over 20 years, almost 20 years of his life in prison for just a simple mistake. And it's just another terrible decision for the court and um, a, another terrible decision, a long line of terrible decisions. So this is not like a... a and, I, and I want people who are maybe politically engaged and they see some of the the minor victories like the Alabama redistricting case of a week ago and they think like oh the the court you know they have some semblance of 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 morality they don't they'll give you little little crumbs here and there but the main goal for them the conservatives of the court is the main goal like Roe v Wade even if they they have rulings on contraceptives or any of that Roe v. Wade, they got what they wanted. They got it removed. Like affirmative action will be gone, even if they give you minor victories. And even when it comes to voting rights, that case last week, honestly, just meant that uh, it didn't, we didn't blow up the Voting Rights Act, honestly. It just made it not worse. That's all. Um, And you know how I talked earlier in this episode about, uh, how this has been going on longer than what people would like to believe with the voting rights. You know, Shelby versus Holder. I don't know if I've talked about this in previous episodes, but just like a minor breakdown of this case. Back in the 60s, right, uh, before the Voting Rights Act, obviously Southern states, you know, they were suppressing black votes. I mean, there weren't even black voters on the rolls. Uh, It wasn't allowed. And so when the Voting Rights Act was signed, there are like two clauses in it, two sections. There's a section five, right? We're going to start with section five. Section five basically says that the government has oversight whenever the state, any state with a history of suppression wants to change its voting law. The federal government has to sign off on that before they can do anything, right? But then there's a section 4B. And section 4B states, it, 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 what it does is that there's a 
an equation, I guess, or a formula, that's probably a better word, of how we determine which states have a history of voter suppression. And see, what happened in 2013 is the court struck down, 5-4, to four, struck down the Section 4B. And see, and this is what they do. So, like, really pay attention to this. Like, this is what they do. They keep Section 5. They kept Section 5, which says that, oh, there has to be federal oversight, right? And so they'll keep the, 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 the shell of the law, right? But they struck down Section 4B, which determines the formula. And they ruled that unconstitutional. So what it did is that it left Section 5 with no teeth. No way to enforce, oh, okay, yeah, states with the history of voter suppression, you have to check in with the, the federal government. That's still, that's still allowed, right? But now there is no formula to determine who has a history of voter suppression. So basically, the government can't check for anything. According to that court, there's no state that has a history of voter suppression. And so now, as you've seen in the last two years especially, like these states can pass voter suppression laws, especially in the South, that hurt black people. And the federal government doesn't have any oversight. And that's the thing about the Supreme Court. And I want people to like really like you really have to like pay attention to the news and read as much as you can or check in on this podcast because the Supreme Court is like the hand that controls everything, right? Yes, it's not the all like powerful, you know, thing in government. It doesn't hold all the power, but right, it's like an unbalanced amount of power. Think of it. There are no term limits like there is in the executive branch, right? You're not censuring uh, uh, Supreme Court justices or impeaching them. Like you can impeach them technically, but you're never going to get 67 votes to impeach a Supreme Court justice. So they can serve until the day they die, right? And they don't get voted in like the legislative branch either. And that's the danger, right? They're the one branch of government they're not beholden to anyone. I mean, you see Clarence Thomas out here breaking all types of laws and taking trips, you know, uh, Alito taking trips. It's crazy right now. But there is no one who can keep that branch in check. And that's the danger. And now that it's 63 conservative, I mean, it's, it's, it's not good. And, you know, back to that whole cutting out, you know, Section 4B and leaving Section 5 uh, toothless. This is what they do. They'll give you crumbs or they'll make it look good. But what they want to get done when it comes to their ideology, they'll get done. Right. They can strike down a law when it comes to banning contraceptives. But in the end. They'll they'll drop Roe v. Wade. Right. They'll rule it unconstitutional. So what was all this for? I even feel like that with uh, affirmative action. We talked about it before. That's going to end probably in the next few weeks. They might don't get fooled by all these other rulings. This is what they do. You know, like. The, the media might try to make it seem like the Roberts court and, and John Roberts is the Supreme Court justice, like the, the chief justice. So, like, he's the man when it comes to Supreme Court, basically. And so it's his court. And <laughs> I mean, he's not that good a person either. But now, like, what's stopping these people? You know, 
and the media might make them feel, make you feel like, oh, there's some semblance of normality. They're not normal. And you're going to see that in the next few weeks. There's a case on uh, independent state legislature theory. Basically, what this theory states is, sorry to switch gears, but basically what this theory states is that um, when it comes to like contested elections within the state, right, the actual legislator can determine who wins. Like, let's say in a state like Wisconsin, right, that that's usually a, a battleground state. Let's say two candidates, Republican and Democrat, uh there's a dispute over who wins. It's close, like Al Gore, George Bush style close. And normally they would go in front of the state Supreme Court and there would be a ruling, right? If the Supreme Court were to rule that the independent state legislative theory was constitutional, then they could appeal in front of a Republican state legislator. And who do you think they would vote for? There'd be no uh, uh, impartiality and that's the danger, right? In a lot of these states, Georgia, Florida, then what would happen? Again, it's like a rolling back of of of, of rights. I mean, honestly, I mean, probably heard it before, but it's true. Um, and I know a lot of people will be like, okay, you know what the you know what does that have to do with me? Like, you know, I don't want to be part of this. And here's the thing, like, I'm not a how do I put this? Politics, you think of it this way or anything with government. It's just what can you get out of it? Um, this system doesn't work for black people, right? Capitalism doesn't work for black people. Honestly, America is not a democracy at all. And it hadn't worked for black people. So I'm not asking you to believe in institutions. Oh, they're inherently good. It's not that. I'm not dumb like that. But like Barbara Jordan said, you know, in order to play the game, you got to know the rules. We we here in America. So I'm, I'm tired of living like this. I'm trying to shift the balance towards us. And obviously, it's not easy. It's not just voting, but that's a huge part, you know. We can boycott. Like, there are people who give. How about the businesses that give a Samuel Alito, a Supreme Court justice, or, or Clarence Thomas money? Why don't we boycott them? Why don't we protest more? Like, we have to break these institutions. Not like, I ain't saying anarchy, but bring them bring them to heal. Right? How they used to say about black people bringing us to heal, bring them to heal. And and have them bend to our way. Right? And that that's the thing. Like, 30% of Americans approve of them, like in the latest poll. So no one likes them. So it's not like they have like popularity, but it's going to take uh, a, a political courage from our elected officials too. Like one of the things I would like to see Joe Biden run on in 2024 is expanding the Supreme Court. Like now it's time to play hardball because honestly, they're playing in our faces, right? It's a, a Clarence Thomas can take and his wife, Jeannie Thomas, they can take money and, and rule in people's favor. They can they can hide money break the law, and they'll just laugh in your face because there's nothing, like I said before, to take them off the court. So it's like they're playing in your face. I, I feel like it, you know, I like history because, you know, I love history because of the lessons it can give today, right? I mean, we need that political Abraham Lincoln FDR type style of, okay, you want to take it there? We can take it there. I just feel like it can't be normal conventional things in 2024. 
like this court, if they're allowed, a Republican president, right, is allowed to add any more people. I mean, that could be it, to be honest with you. I mean, we're already close to it. What's next? Brown versus Board of Education? And, and back to the history of the court. Let's be honest, for the past, well, for the first 150 years of the court, it did not work for black people at all. For the majority of the court, but we're going to get to when it did. For the majority of the court, the history of this country has never worked for black people. I mean, you go back to like Dred Scott, um, like the Dred Scott case. If you don't know, like a breakdown is just like um, he's an enslaved person, right? This is back in the 1830s. Um, and he was born in Virginia, but he's owned by a man named Peter Blow. And uh, they moved to Missouri. And Missouri is a slave state. But Blows dies, and John Emerson becomes his owner. And he moves Dred Scott to the states of Illinois and Wisconsin. And those are free states. A little backstory here is that in the state of Missouri, if an enslaved person moves to a free state, then they're free. But the thing is, is that his owner, John Emerson, I hate to say his owner, but John Emerson dies and John Emerson's wife gains control of Dred Scott. She's a little different, right? She moves back to St. Louis, Missouri. And... You know, by then, Dred Scott has gotten married, and him and his wife, they asked to, you know, be let free because, again, they were in free states. And so by Missouri law, they should be freed. But Emerson's wife says no, and so Dred Scott and his wife, they sue for their freedom. And honest, in Missouri, it was actually legal back then for any enslaved person to sue for, like, wrongful enslavement. And they initially actually, they won their case initially. But then, you know, Emerson's wife, she appeals to the higher courts and it gets to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court comes with the worst decision they've ever had. Right? Uh, Tanny, Chief Justice Tanny, with the worst decision the court has ever made, they basically say that Africans have no rights. None. And so... They remain, even though state Missouri state law stated the you know that they should be free, they were they remain enslaved, and then kind of a weird twist. Emerson's wife she remarries to a congressman I think who was like an abolitionist, and they sell Dred Scott and his wife to the sons of his original owner, and his sons free Dred Scott and his wife. And the sad part is that Dred Scott, I think, only lives a year after this. And so it shows how the Supreme Court even overruled state law, right? You know, for all the states' rights people. Uh, and honestly, this decision helped lead to the Civil War because it broke the Missouri Compromise. But that's a whole nother, just it's a rabbit hole. But it goes to show the power of the Supreme Court as the law of the land. Um, you see it again in, like, uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, which says, you know, that segregation is legal. But there is kind of a break in it. You got, you know, Earl Warren, who was the 
former governor of California, but becomes the chief justice of the Supreme Court. And under his court, you you do see some advancements in civil rights, right? Uh, Brown versus Board of Education. You got, you know, Miranda versus Arizona, which, you know, rules that, you know, officers have to read you your rights, you know, before they arrest you. Um, a lot, voting, redistricting, ending prayer in schools. Um, it It's the most liberal court uh, ever, not even close. And um, so it changes the course of American history, and it shows that the court's, when it's rarely used for good, it can shift us, you know, and, and leads to more progress in society. But most of the time, the courts have been used um, to detriment of society, in my opinion. And that's because a lot of times, especially with conservatives, they've taken the Constitution and like there's this theory called like originalism. And that means that they believe the Constitution's not a living, breathing document and that it doesn't change. And you know, whatever they meant back in 1789, like, is what they mean now. And to me, that's stupid because um, there were slave owners back then. I wouldn't even be allowed to even do anything. They, they'd be trying to own me. So how could, could what they interpreted back then be used now? Like, laws change because society changes. It progresses. And so the people who take the Constitution literally, again, originalism, that's also, like, that's been a huge barrier when it comes to the courts and when it comes to the Supreme Court and progression. And, I mean, that continues today. I mean, and now we're, we're it's, it's an impasse. We're 6-3 conservative lean. You, you're, you saw last year Roe v. Wade get struck down. You're going to see affirmative action get struck down. You could see the independent state legislator uh theory be be implemented then that means states will have more control over elections i, I wouldn't even be surprised brown v board i don't know now <laughs> you know it, it's conservatives white supremacists uh bigots they all play the long game right and, and what i want people to see is that the courts matter. The Supreme Court matters so much because by the time they implement things, it's too late. There, there's no reversing it because they have final say. Um, and again, I think for the future and what we need to do, I would love for Joe Biden 2024 to run off of, and I think he needs to, expanding the Supreme Court. Uh, I said it before, I just feel like it's desperate times it calls for desperate measures and i think it'll get people off the sideline you know you can get uh, uh abortion bans repealed nationwide you know all these things uh even when it comes to gun control uh when it comes to voting rights the supreme court there is no and i, I hate to you know i'm not trying to like disappoint people or like scare people or worry like but the the honest truth is, until you get that court fixed, it will be hard, if not impossible, to shore up all these issues that we have. Because they stand in the way. They can just repeal whatever you pass. And so I am calling on Joe Biden to run and Democrats to run on expanding the Supreme Court. And it sounds crazy, but at this point, we need, we need a wholesale change.
right? And I know a lot of listeners, again, like I said before, they'll think, well, what does this have to do with me? I want to say this. I feel like we have to start holding people accountable. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, this country's kicked us, beaten us, harassed us, all these things. And to this day, the courts need to be held accountable. I'm not just going to sit here and, and, and let this keep happening. I'm not going to sit here while they take away voting rights, while they take away affirmative action, while they take away all these things. There's no gun control. There's no no women's rights over their body. No, I'm not just going to sit here. And I know this country, the systems are broken. No, nah, you know what? They're working the way that they're supposed to, which is to hurt us. But you got to fight back. I'm not just going to sit here. You know, like, that that's just not in my nature. That I'm going to be honest, it's not in my people's nature. You're just not going to sit there and just take it. Look, for all my ancestors went through, I don't know about y'all, for all the answer, things my ancestors went through, not just going to sit here. We're going to do something. And, and look, yeah, you need to vote. That's the most important thing. But when people are voted in, you hold them accountable. And seemingly, Republicans are just... They're racist and far gone. I'm sorry. I don't care what anyone. They're far gone. So I'm calling on people, on Democrats, that now the stakes are even higher, right? So now you got to bring it even more. Because, again, these institutions, they're broken. They're not working. They're not. They're not working for people like me. So nothing should be off limits of what we can do. The expanding the Supreme Court, the ending the filibuster, we need radical change because that is the energy conservatives and white supremacists and bigots they're bringing. That's the energy. You have to match the energy of the oppressor. You have to match the energy, right? No more just playing it safe. You know, it's it's a call on both the, the, the listener right now and politicians, if they're ever listening, that 2024, I mean, these next few years are crucial for rights. The Supreme Court is out of control. And, and to the listener, I want you to always remember, and I'm being serious here. This politicians, this government, these courts are supposed to work on the, the behalf of the American people as a whole. It, that's owed to you. And so don't take anything from these people. We're old. You know, liberty, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're old, these things. Like Dr. King said, we come here to cash a check. That's old to us. And I'm not stopping. This stubbornness, I'm not stopping until we get it. You're old that. If you're a black person, you are old those freedoms. Every American is old those rights. And we're not going to stop. At least I'm not going to stop, but I know there's millions of others until we get them. And we're going to be on your necks and we're going to be on you, politicians, judges, whoever, until that promise is met. So with that, I want to say thank you for listening and to remember that there's nothing wrong with being upset. Because passion only means one thing, that you're still alive. Thank you and God bless.